Hello and welcome to episode 107 of My Circus, My Monkeys. I've talked quite a bit in previous episodes about how our stories can get in our way. And I realize that I almost always talk about stories in a negative way. So today, I want to give you a concrete example from my own life that I think will really illustrate how some stories can keep you stuck and others can empower you. So if you've been feeling stuck, you'll want to keep listening. You're listening to My Circus, My Monkeys, the podcast for supervisors in education or any field that emphasizes growth and development. If you want to reign in the chaos and transform your team to better serve your students and clients, keep listening. This podcast explores essential information on supervision, employee engagement, and using a strengths-based framework to empower you and your team. We'll examine the latest research in psychology, neuroscience, education, and beyond to help you and your team get to the next level with your host, Anne Brackett, the Chief Engagement Officer of Strengths University. Generally, when I've mentioned stories in the podcast, I've talked about them in terms of limiting beliefs. In other words, how your stories might be getting in your way from accomplishing your goals or creating the life you want. I know I've given a lot of examples in the past, but I wanted to better illustrate the impact our stories, aka beliefs about the world, can have on our thoughts, feelings, and actions. To do that, I'm going to share a situation that's been going on with me for the past six months or so. Just a bit of context to get us started, I have a cutie patootie, 13-year-old pug Pekingese mix named Sweet D. Yes, from the show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. In September of 2021, she had emergency surgery for a herniated disc in her neck. It started off as a limp in one hind leg, and over the course of a few weeks, it ended up with her being completely unable to walk. Luckily, she was able to quickly, although expensively, get in for surgery. She had a slow recovery, but in about six months, she was moving even better than she had before the limping started pre-surgery. But a few months after that, I noticed this weird tick. You know how sometimes when you hit just the right spot, when you're scratching a dog's ear, and their back leg starts moving? Well, that would happen, but Sweet D couldn't seem to stop it. Sometimes she'd start panting because basically one-fourth of her was running a marathon. I'd have to massage her neck and shoulder to get it to stop. Now, it didn't happen a ton, and she didn't seem like it hurt, so I wasn't too worried at first. But then it started happening more frequently, so I figured it was time to go see my vet. Now, we go to a small holistic veterinary practice that just has two vets. Vet A had been Sweet D's primary vet, and in fact, originally, Sweet D saw Vet B, but in the next visit, Vet A saw her, and she had a dog that looked exactly like Sweet D named Howie. So she just kind of took over. But when the limping started, the first available appointment was with Vet B. So Vet B had gotten us through the surgery and her recovery, including a few months of acupuncture. So this was our first appointment back with Vet A in over a year. Okay, so that's the background. Now we can really dive into how my stories played into this scenario. I'd explained what was going on over the phone when I made the appointment, and the vet tech asked me two specific questions about these episodes. First, does Sweet D turn her head back when it's happening? And second, does she cry or howl when it happens? No and no. 
when I got there, vet A asked me the same questions. And I reiterated, no, it's just that her back leg scratches her front leg and she can't seem to stop. Now, I also mentioned that I really didn't want to pay for another MRI because just the MRI cost me $3,000 last time. And you have to put the dog under full anesthesia to do it. And since she just have surgery, that just seemed like a lot all around. And Vet A said she completely understood. In fact, her dog, Howie, again, the one that looks like Sweet D, had had a similar issue. And she also didn't want to pay for an MRI because of his age and the cost. Now, momentarily, that made me feel better because I assumed she'd have some strat- strategies to help. The issue that Howie had was syringomyelia. Now, just hearing that word was scary, but then she went on to explain what it was. She said that sometimes a dog's skull is too small for their brain, so some of the spinal fluid gets squeezed out into a cyst that can compress or injure nerve tissue or even damage the spinal cord. And it can cause that quote-unquote air guitar behavior, as she called it. But she did mention that typically, when that happened and it was syringomyelia, the dog would cry out because it was painful, and they would rotate their head back. And that was obviously why they kept asking me these two things. And from a story perspective, you could tell the vet A had already landed on what she thought the issue was. At this point, the energy in the room was getting really tense. Remember, this was within a year of her having emergency spinal surgery, and I had no idea that I should even be concerned about spinal disease, but evidently it's fairly common for dogs like her. And now here's this other seemingly awful thing that was being tossed around. Now, Vede said, well, it could be several things, but whatever it was was neurological. And again, while she said it could be several things, it was pretty obvious that she believed it was syringomyelia. Her course of treatment was long-term steroids and increasing the pain meds she'd been on since the surgery. She talked really quickly and said we needed to act quickly or it could get much worse. I was getting more and more anxious about my poor dog having some new mystery disease. And then they whisked Sweet D out of the room to do a full exam and the blood work. And it seemed like forever. The story evolving in my head was, oh no, it's taking this long because they found other awful things and are just trying to figure out how to tell me. Now, eventually they brought her back and Vet A told me about what she found in the exam. Now, she didn't know she was giving me new information, but evidently the disc they operated on during surgery was not the only disease disc that she had. And that made me feel even more anxious. She told me to go ahead and start the steroids and increase the pain medication, and they'd call me on Monday with the results of the blood work. I was still stunned in the car, but I remember almost as soon as I pulled out of the parking lot, I started thinking, I don't think that's right. I think she's projecting because her dog had syringomyelia. I mean, if there are three factors, air guitar, howling, and head turning, and she only has one, that doesn't seem like the right diagnosis. But even though I was doubting what she said, I still felt anxious, especially because Vet A didn't talk to me about her prognosis other than we need to do something quickly or it can definitely get worse. There was no talk about how she could live a long, healthy life with treatment or anything like that. It was a very negative experience. Over the weekend, I tried to wrap my head around everything. All sorts of stories were popping up in my head 
about how this could impact her, most of which were negative because of the vet's demeanor. But the one thing I didn't do was Google syringomyelia. And this was really odd for me because typically my input loves to dig in and get more information, even if, even if it's about something that's not so great. It's my way of empowering myself so my strategic can go to work and make a game plan. But again, somehow I felt the vet was wrong. Now, she might still need the steroids for whatever was going on, but I really didn't know what that was. So usually, the vet or vet tech calls early in the morning with lab results, but I didn't hear anything for most of the day. And given our visit on Friday, part of me worried because are they trying to tell me that things are even worse than they thought? Which again, was another story. But I told myself they were probably just busy. And so later in the afternoon, I drove to campus, getting ready to teach my afternoon class. As soon as I parked, they called. And it was the vet tech. And she apologized because indeed they were shorthanded. And so I was relieved for a second. Because then without skipping a beat, she said, while the blood work showed that Sweet D's kidney disease has progressed from stage three, from stage two to stage three, and she needs to immediately go on a prescription diet. She gave me three suggested brands and said they had a prescription ready for me that I could pick up, or if I ordered online, they could just send it in. Again, I was stunned. I asked a few follow-up questions about the food, but once I got off the phone, I just sat there. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So instead of worrying about one awful disease, now I get to worry about kidney disease. Awesome. Oh, and I guess I need to get myself together right quick so I can go teach. As I walked to class, I thought about how terrible both of these exchanges had been, and not just because of the diagnoses, because this information was just dropped in my lap without any sense of hope or positivity. I was anxious about Sweet D, but I was also a little pissed that no one seemed concerned about helping me navigate these. On the drive home, I started to process the kidney news. My mom's dog, Zoe, had had kidney disease and was on one of those prescription diets. And Zoe hated it because it's got a ridiculously low protein level. Mom said she'd go out and eat bugs just to get more protein. Now, I know most people will say their dog loves food, but Sweet D loves food, especially meat. She has been on a raw diet for most of her life, which is basically 80 to 95% meat. As I was digesting all of this information, pun intended, I decided that if I couldn't find a whole food prescription diet that she liked, she was just going to keep getting the food that she did like. Her quality of life was just as important to me as keeping her alive on stuff she hated. I started researching the brands the vet had suggested and realized that the one whole food option was beef, and she's allergic to beef and chicken. The other brands came as either kibble or canned sludge, which I really didn't want to consider, and plus they were beef and chicken. At this point, input kicked in. So I started Googling other options, and quite a few things came up. One was a freeze-dried base of whole foods like fruits, vegetables, and grains that was completely balanced with all the right vitamins and nutrients. All you had to do was add your own protein. So I figured this was perfect because the vet could just tell me what percentage of protein to add in, and I could beat buy meat from animals that she wasn't allergic to, like pork. So I called the vet's office, fairly hopeful, 
and told them what I'd discovered, both about the proteins on the brands they recommended and Sweetie's allergies. And I also asked the vet tech if she could ask vet A what she thought of this freeze-dried option I'd found. I even sent them the website, which had a link to all the ingredients. Well, the message I got back from the vet was, she isn't familiar with that brand and doesn't know how we'd tell you the percentage of protein to add. The vet tech added, she went ahead and checked some of the prescription brands, and one of them did in fact have a lamb-based diet. So the vet said I should just do that. Now, at this point, I was frustrated. All I wanted to do was take care of my pup and make sure she had a good life. I wasn't getting any help understanding her diagnoses or options for her care. I was just being told to give her drugs and feed her something I knew she'd hate. Now, at this stage, I could have easily bought into the vet's stories that A, she had syringomyelia and needed long-term steroids, and B, that she needed to be on the prescription diet for her kidneys, ASAP. But both of those options felt very limiting. I felt stuck. So I decided that I wasn't just going to accept this without doing my own research. I mean, so far, she hadn't even explained anything to me other than her dog had something similar so we'll just give Sweet D the same treatment. That's when I started researching kidney disease, not just alternative diets. I really didn't know much about it, other than I'd been told she'd been at a stage two for about seven years, and even within that time, at, po- at different points, her blood work didn't show any kidney disease. I wasn't really surprised that the kidneys were an issue, but I was confused as to why they suddenly got so much worse. It took a while, but I found a week-long series on canine kidney disease from a holistic vet, Dr. Judy Morgan, on YouTube. And just FYI, if you're having any sort of pet issues and you want to treat them more holistically or you're confused and overwhelmed, I super recommend her videos and her new podcast. But in the week-long series, one of the videos was about how to actually read lab reports. And at this point, I'd just been taking the vet at her word about the results of all of her blood work. And I mean, why Why shouldn't I? But one thing I learned was that stress can make one key indicator jump up and falsely indicate kidney disease or make it seem worse. I remembered how tense the room was when Vet A was telling me about syringomyelia and Sweet D was in there too. And I'm sure she picked up on all the stress and tension, especially mine. So between that and the stress of the exam, I wondered if this was the problem. Did that impact her results? Now, normally, I might have just asked, but quite frankly, my last two interactions with Fede left a lot to be desired. So instead, I called the vet's office and asked them to send me the lab results. And I went through them as I rewatched that video. And indeed, the only numbers related to kidney disease that indicated any sort of problem was the one that can be impacted by stress. So at this point, I'm pretty skeptical about the results, but I kept researching, and I learned a ton, including that Dr. Morgan did lab interpretations for a small fee, so I contacted her and sent in Sweetie's lab work, and as an added bonus, one of her specialties was syringomyelia, so I wrote a note asking her about that diagnosis as well. Well, I had to wait about two weeks to hear back from her, but while I waited, I just kept researching and learning more about how I could support Sweetie and her kidneys but not decrease the quality of her food or her life. When I got Dr. Morgan's response, I was really excited. She agreed with me. Well, I mean, I I didn't tell her what I thought specifically, but 
She said, the only indication of kidney disease is the one that I honed in on. And she said it was a super early indicator of kidney disease anyway, but the rest of her lab results were fine, so she wouldn't change her diet at all. She also said that if Sweetie had syringomyelia, it would have shown up on the MRI she had before surgery. So she gave me a few suggestions about supplements that could replace the steroids so she'd have that anti-inflammatory effect, but without all the side effects. And my initial response to this new information was, in your face, Dr. A. Now, that was a lot of detail. So I'll fast forward a bit here. As I worked through all of this, I mentioned the issue with her neck and strange scratching to my massage therapist. She said, sounded like scar tissue, and she offered to use her NeuroStim device, which uses safe electrical currents to break up scar tissue. I immediately accepted. This also got me thinking about her health and diet overall, and even though her kidney disease hadn't really progressed, I wanted to support them as well as her spine. And as luck would have it, Dr. Morgan was having a food therapy masterclass that utilized traditional Chinese medicine the weekend before Thanksgiving. It was a bit pricey, and it would have been easy enough to lean into the story that it's too expensive. But since her other resources were so great, I changed that story to, this is just a bit more than the cost of running Sweetie's lab work. Plus, it seems like this is going to actually save me money on future vet bills. It was a great workshop, and I learned which foods benefit dogs and people based on their characteristics, illnesses, issues, etc. She also covered how to make sure those meals are balanced and have all the nutrients a dog needs. This gave me the ability to develop my own custom diet for her. And in Sweetie's case, I just changed her protein to something that would better support her kidneys and added in other ingredients into the pre-made food she was already getting. And to top it off, I added some other supplements to support her kidneys, her disc disease, and the supplements that Dr. Morgan had suggested for inflammation. So she's been on those supplements and eating the new diet for several months. When we redid her lab work in mid-February, I was nervous, but overall confident that we were making progress. When the vet tech called this time, her kidney disease had gone back down to stage two. Plus, my massage therapist has been making great progress on her scar tissue, so she moves better, she's more comfortable, and she does the air guitar thing less often. I'm actually in the process now of weaning her off the steroids. As you can imagine, I'm pretty psyched about these results. And none of this would have happened if I just accepted what the vet had to say. And I do want to clarify that up until now, I've had a great relationship and experience with these vets. I really didn't have any reason to question them now, other than being in tune with Sweet D and knowing the quality of life I wanted for her. That gave me the motivation to really think about which stories served us best. This story ended with me feeling much more empowered to care for her without being dependent on one vet's interpretation of the situation. Now, the reason I went into such detail here is because my stories, aka what I believed, greatly impacted the outcome here. I'm sure you've heard about the placebo effect, right? You know, when you believe something will help you so much that you get a positive outcome that can't be directly tied back to the thing itself. You most often hear about this in medical trials. It's when someone gets a sugar pill, but their body reacts as though they have the actual medication. But there's a flip side to this phenomenon. It's called the nocebo effect. It's the same thing. Your brain manifests what it believes should happen in a situation, but the results are negative. 
For example, most people know that chemotherapy drugs often cause side effects like nausea and hair loss. But there have been many, many documented cases of folks starting to lose their hair and being nauseous before they start the drugs. Since the drugs are what cause both of those things, there's absolutely no reason for it to happen other than the patient's belief. So when you believe something negative might happen or that there's nothing that can be done, there's an excellent chance you'll be right. But you're the one making it happen. I hate to quote Henry Ford anymore because of the anti-Semitism, but I think he really summed this up well when he said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. In my situation, I was advocating for a third party, sweet D. But how often do we put barriers on ourselves with our stories? Do you tell yourself it is what it is and think there's nothing you can do to change the situation? Occasionally that's true, but the vast majority of the time it is not. It's just your interpretation of the situation because you lack the skills, knowledge, or experience to know your options. If you believe talking to team members about the performance is hard for you, it probably will be. You'll continue to avoid it and think less of yourself in the process. In other words, you'll be stuck in your own story. But if you think, you know, I think this might be difficult for me because I've never actually learned how to do this the right way. Now that's an empowering story. That gives you permission to change the outcome by getting more information and practicing so that you can be good at it. And that's why the title of this episode is, Are Your Stories Keeping You Stuck or Empowering You? When I first visited the vet about Sweet D's neck and hind leg issue, I felt punched in the gut. It seemed like this was all terrible news, followed by more terrible news. Had I just accepted what the vet told me, I would have felt stuck and powerless. Sweet D would have simply started on a tasteless prescription diet and stayed on steroids forever which also would have caused additional stress on her kidneys. In fact, as I tried to wrap my head around what was going on, at one point, I kind of accepted that my time left with her would probably be short and I just needed to make her as comfortable as possible. But I questioned the stories I was being told and my own stories about what made the most sense for me and Sweet D. These questions empowered me to make better decisions and stop feeling helpless. Even if her kidneys were worse, I wasn't going to be limited by Vet A telling me just to pick one of the three prescription diets she suggested. I used my talents, in this case input, to increase my knowledge about everything that was going on and that was stressing me out. Then I took a course to increase both my knowledge and skills around nutrition, which again left me feeling empowered to care for Sweet D. The more I learned, the more empowered I felt. Now, I had a fantastic outcome, all things considered, but even if things hadn't worked out as well as they did, I still felt better about the situation because I knew better what was happening and could do things myself to alleviate her symptoms and make her comfortable. Even more important, I know to ask more questions and really assess if what I'm being told tracks with what's actually happening. If you feel stuck, stressed, or overwhelmed, it's easy to assign blame to external factors your supervisor, your spouse, systemic problems in higher ed, etc. But I'll wager that your stories are actually the cause. It's your beliefs about the situation that are making you feel helpless and even hopeless. 
it may feel like things are happening to you or that there's nothing you can do to make your situation better, but that's simply not true. Often we feel helpless because we don't know what to do in a certain situation and either no one is helping us or we just believe we have no options. But you have the ability to learn how to do things differently. You have the ability to become skilled at navigating what's keeping you stuck so you can get a different outcome. When you look at your situation in a new way, you can see options and opportunities that you simply missed before. Changing your stories can be empowering. Your stories, aka your beliefs, impact your outcomes. If you're not happy with what's happening in your life, if you feel stuck, change your stories. Create stories that empower you to make things different. You don't have to be stuck where you are. You just haven't gotten the right combination of knowledge, skills, and beliefs yet. So start questioning any story you have that makes you feel helpless. And then create a new story that empowers you. As always, Alicia and I are here to support you as you reflect on where you are and where you want to go. One great way to invest in yourself and your team is to join us for the summer cohort of the Supervisor Strengths Institute. We are revamping the Institute this summer to make it even more manageable for your busy schedule. It is the same great content, but we've condensed it so you can work through each week's modules and start implementing change even faster. We know that life can too easily get in the way of you staying on track, so we've also added a bonus for everyone who completes all eight weeks of learning. You will get an additional 60 minutes of our time, and you can use that for more individual coaching, a short team session, or to receive a discount on a longer team workshop. Our Summer Institute starts on May 28th. Go ahead and register now. Check it off your list. We want you, your team, and your students to shine their brightest. And that starts with you. So join us for the Summer Institute using the link in the show notes. Or if you have questions about the Institute or other services, contact us at Anne, and that's A-N-N-E, at strengthsuniversity.org. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links as well as other episodes on our website, www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus. If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.